Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. First Corinthians chapter 12, um, beginning with verse 1. Paul says this, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So he doesn't want people to be ignorant about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and spiritual things. And so uh, there's actually, Paul mentions not being ignorant many times in scriptures, in his letters. Uh, but there's four things that I think that stand out to me anyways that he doesn't want his readers to be ignorant about. Uh, and I think they're kind of in interesting. In Romans chapter 11, 25, Paul says, for I do not want, uh, excuse me, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So that's one of the things that Paul doesn't want us to be ignorant about, and that is regarding the nation of Israel in the last days. Uh, I firmly believe, and I think scripture backs it up, that the church uh, does not replace Israel in God's promises, that God has a specific plan for the nation of Israel as outlined in scriptures. And if you think about it, that is one area where people are ignorant about it. Um, it, it breaks my heart to see um, the, the, the Christian churches that are aligning themselves against the nation of Israel because God's blessed Israel and God has a plan for them. And uh, uh, anyways, that'd be another message if we go into that. But, but that's one of the things that the Lord doesn't want, or uh, Paul didn't want uh, the Christians to be ignorant about was that God's plan for Israel. Another thing there in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Paul writes this, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. And as you follow those verses in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, uh, Paul starts teaching about what happens to the dead in Christ, Christians that die. Well, what happens to them? And then he starts talking about the second coming of Jesus Christ for his bride, which we know as the rapture. I think this is quite a, a specific and a, a very interesting teaching on the rapture of the church. Uh, it's also known as the blessed hope. And so we're not like those that have no hope. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ, and he has a plan and a purpose, and he's coming back for his church. And so that's one of the things, that's another one of the things that Paul didn't want Christians to be ignorant about. And if you look around at the church today, there's so many different beliefs regarding uh, eschatology. That's the study of last days. And, and there's so much confusion there. Another thing, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11 uh, Paul writes this, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And this is something that I think weighs kind of heavy on my heart, and, the, and this is Christian oblivion, I think, to demonic deception that is occurring throughout the church today and, and uh, spiritual warfare. I think some people are just oblivious to it. Also, I think there's some people that give way too much credit to the devil. And so we're not to be ignorant of how the devil deceives and how he appears as an angel of light and, and the things that he does. Just like we were talking earlier, you know, he wants to destroy marriages. He wants to destroy families and, and witnesses and stuff. We're not to be ignorant of how the devil uses people to, to tear us apart. And so that's another thing that Paul didn't want Christians to be ignorant of. And I, and I think there's a lot of ignorance 
regarding spiritual things like that in the church today. A lot of lack of discernment is what I think would, I call lack of spiritual discernment. And then of course here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, Paul doesn't want his readers to be ignorant about spiritual things. Now it's interesting if you have, uh, most of your Bibles I'm assuming has gifts in italics. I don't know if yours does or not. You don't have to tell me if it does or not, but uh, most, or at least the Bible I was studying out of, the New King James Version, gifts is in italics and that's because the translators added it because it fit there, but the word that's there is actually literally spirituals. That's what Paul is saying. He doesn't want them to be ignorant about spirituals. And you go, well, that seems kind of weird. Why would he say it that way? Well, maybe this is why. I don't, I don't know. I'm not in the mind of Paul. But uh, one of the things you think about, you know, if you look at the first 11 chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul's been uh, teaching about the, or addressing the carnality of the Corinthian believers. They had factions. They had, you know, I'm of Paul, I'm of Paulus. They had divisions like that. They had people that were uh, celebrating sexual immorality within the church. Uh, There's so much things, there was so much carnality going on. And it's almost like Paul's like, oh man, I'm tired of talking about all the carnality. Let's talk about some spiritual things now. Could be. So now concerning spirituals. And then he starts in verse 2. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And so it seems like Paul, before he digs, before he even gets into the gifts of the Spirit, he starts addressing ignorance about the Holy Spirit himself and his work, his role. Um, and so Paul talks here, he says, I know you were carried away to these dumb idols. Now, that doesn't mean like stupid idols, you know, those dumb idols. That's not what he means. It's, it's an inanimate idol. It's something that doesn't talk. And an idol basically is anything that man creates and puts in, in front of a relationship between them and the Lord. You know, it could be wood stone. It could be a, a car. I mean, it could be some material thing, whatever. Whatever gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord is an idol. And, and in Corinth... These people were worshiping these inanimate objects and worshiping them as God. Now, we know, because we've been studying 1 Corinthians, that idols are simply the work of man's hands, as I say. You know, someone makes a little statue, now they're worshiping it. It's like, well, it's still a statue made out of rock or whatever you made it out of. But we also know from earlier studies in 1 Corinthians that the demonic realm attaches themselves to the worship of idols. In other words, they use the worship of these inanimate objects, these things that are not gods at all. They use them in the lives of people to keep people from worshiping the true Lord and God. So idols are definitely involved, or excuse me, demons are definitely involved with idol worship. Demons would influence the idolaters commit acts of wickedness. If you you read or study back into the, the worship of some of these idols that was taking place in Corinth and other cities, it was just sexual immorality, left and right, wickedness. And so Paul says, don't equate. Now remember, he's talking, a lot of the Corinthians were just, they were pagans. They were idol worshipers themselves, and they, then they got born again. They, they, they heard the message of Jesus Christ, and they believed. And so they come out of that lifestyle. They come out of that practice there. And so Paul basically says, don't equate the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit to what you know and experience in your past life as pagans. You know, for the Corinthians... The demonic realm was very active, like I mentioned, in their pagan worship ceremonies. 
And so Paul says, hey, the way you were led by these uh, demonic influences is not the way the Holy Spirit leads uh, believers. Let's talk about the Holy Spirit for a moment here. Because I think there's a little bit of ignorance there too, a little bit of misunderstanding. I want to say something right off the top that hopefully you hopefully you already know this, but if not, maybe this is something new to you. But the Holy Spirit's not a force. It's not a thing. It's a person. It's he's the third person of the triune nature of God. The triune nature. That's where we get the word Trinity. Now, if you go and do a concordance search in your Bible, you're not going to find the word Trinity. Trinity basically means three persons and yet one God. Uh, you won't find that in the Bible, but you will see the Trinity throughout the entire Bible. It, even as early as Genesis chapter 1, where Jesus said in verse 26, or God said in verse 26, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We start seeing the Trinity from the very first pages of scriptures, and it's all throughout the scriptures, even though the word Trinity doesn't appear there. And so the Holy Spirit is not a force, or a thing, he is the third person of the Trinity. Secondly, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, never draws attention to himself, always to the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus teaching his disciples about the Holy Spirit in John 14, 26, says this, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your, remember all, bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Later on, in the next chapter, chapter 15, verse 26, he says again, But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. So the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is to draw people's attention to Jesus Christ. Now, some people evidently in Corinth, because I think that's why Paul is saying this, some people in Corinth feared that in their effort to be filled and led by the Holy Spirit, that somehow all of a sudden, the, the, as the Holy Spirit would, would fill them, that they'd have this demonic influence and they'd be cursing God, and they were afraid about that, apparently. And so Paul says, no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So he's trying to clear up any misunderstanding there. In John 16, verses 13 through 15, Jesus says this, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And I think this is an important thing that maybe is misunderstood, but the Holy Spirit is never going to speak against Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit will never speak things contrary to uh, the Word of God or a different message. It's not like the Holy Spirit's got one message and Jesus has a different message. No, it's, it's one message because it's coming from one God. In fact, Paul warns in Galatians 1 verse 8, he says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So there's only one message, and that's salvation by faith through Jesus Christ. You know, anything that is truly of the Holy Spirit, it's going to glorify Jesus. It's going to glorify Jesus Christ by exhibiting the character and the nature of Jesus. Anything that's truly that the Holy Spirit's involved in. 
First of all, what's the character and nature of Jesus Christ? Well, Jesus was a servant. He gave himself. He, he laid down his life. So you, you, you would see that in anything that's of the Holy Spirit is this servanthood. Humility. Jesus, although he was God, and you know, he, he laid that aside and became a man, humbled himself. So we see great humility in the character and nature of Jesus, and anything that's of the Holy Spirit is going to be humble in its nature. It's also going to be a fulfillment of Scripture. You know, Jesus said, I don't come to, to take away the Scriptures. I come to fulfill the Scripture. And so anything that's of the Holy Spirit will be a fulfillment of Scripture, not a contradiction to Scripture. And, of course, there's power. There's power in what Jesus did and what Jesus said. I mean, he had control over, over the, the wind and the waves, the storm, and raising the dead. And so there's, there, anything of the Holy Spirit, there's going to be power behind it. There's going to be power. And, of course, it's even unpredictable because Jesus was unpredictable. You couldn't just say, well, Jesus is going to do this. Man, he, sometimes he'd surprise his disciples. And so there's this level of unpredictability as well. Now, I want to share this, and, and uh, I want you to understand what I'm saying here, okay? Because I don't know where all your backgrounds are. But I've seen two extremes regarding the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the church uh, today and when it comes to the things of the Spirit. So two extremes, okay? So I'm going far away to one way and far away to the other way, okay, with these two extremes. I, personally, I believe probably most people here are somewhere in between. I don't, I don't know of anybody that's at either end of the spectrum there. But the first extreme is what I would label the hyper-charismatic extreme. Hyper-charismatic. Um, they believe that the Holy Spirit is real and active today, and that's, that's biblical. But the problem is, anything under the heading of spiritual is accepted. After all, someone says, hey, the Holy Spirit's leading me to do this. It's like, oh, if the Holy Spirit is, well, we can't question that. And so anything that's, of the Holy, or that's labeled spiritual is accepted, even practices that are unbiblical. I mean, how do, you, how do you confront someone who says, well, the Spirit told me to say that. Oh, well, I guess we can't. I guess we can't test it. And so there's that extreme. Sometimes new revelation of the Holy Spirit that supersedes Scripture. It is never to supersede Scripture, but that's one extreme. And I think the hyper-charismatic extreme focuses on the Spirit to the exclusion of the Word of God. If you were to sum up it up, I'd say like anything goes if it's got a label of spiritual. Anything goes. There's no orthodoxy. Everything is unorthodox. Okay, that's one end of the spectrum. Then that pendulum swings and you get the full other end of the spectrum. And for lack of a better term, I called it the cessationist extreme. That just, I didn't know what else to call it. But they believe that the Holy Spirit is real and active today, just like the hypercharismatics do. However, they believe that the gifts of the Spirit, in particular what they call the sensational gifts of the Spirit, ceased with the apostles. And so any exercise of the gifts of the Spirit that they see in the church today, they think, well, they'll ascribe to it. At best, it's just a work of man's flesh. Or at worst, they'll say it's demonic. And their focus is on the Word of God with, exclu with the exclusion of the things of the Spirit. If you were to sum up that, that's, that whole that side, I'd say it'd be like nothing goes. You know, it's, it's orthodox, but it's dead orthodox. There's no reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, don't get me wrong. I think those are two far-end extremes. I think most people fall somewhere in between there in their beliefs and their understanding. But those extremes, both of them, I think, miss the mark of what the Bible teaches about the Holy Spirit. 
That's why I really wanted to slow down and teach through this. If you come from a hyper-charismatic background, you know, spiritual experience trumps all. In a sense, you're kind of superstitious. Um, you see the Spirit in everything. You know, you go to the grocery store and it's like, okay, the Holy Spirit's telling me to buy the jumbo rolls of toilet paper, the 12 ones, instead of the, you know, the regular 48 rolls that are smaller. You know, the Spirit's telling me to do that. And you go out to your car and suddenly you realize, you know, your keys are in there. So you got to curse the demon of the locked car, you know, that, that made you forget or the demon of forgetfulness and stuff. And so you see spiritual spirit things in everything. It's like you're superstitious. And then relating to other Christians, you've got a sense of spiritual pride over those staunch people that don't speak in tongues. And you go, I wonder if they're even saved. I mean, they don't speak in tongues. Now, if you come from a very orthodox cessationist background, spiritual experience counts for nothing. Um, the Holy Spirit maybe is trying to speak to your heart, and man, you go, man, I gotta stop eating that spicy food, man. Last night I was hearing voices, you know, I can't understand that. Um, and you know, we have these upper room gatherings that we announce that once a month, and you're like, you'll never see me at one of those things. You never know what goes on at that time, you know. I'm surprised we don't have chandeliers in this room here. <laughs> you know, relating to others, you disdain those wacky, emotional, swinging from the chandelier type people. You know, those two extreme sides. Well, Paul's word to the Corinthians here is, don't let your past influence your understanding of the Holy Spirit today. And that's my prayer, and I think that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to us this morning. Don't let your past influence your understanding of me today. I think that's what the Spirit would say to each one of us this morning. Now, I believe in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, Paul is going to instruct in the proper exercise of the gifts of the Spirit. And I think that addresses some of the erroneous, hyper-charismatic uh, beliefs and practices. But I also believe that it uh, addresses the erroneous, in my opinion, erroneous belief that the gifts of the Spirit are not for the church today, that they ceased with the apostles. That's where that word cessationist comes from, that ceased, the gifts ceased with the apostles. And I think in, in particular, chapter 13 is going to address that. And we'll get to that when we get into chapter 13. So, now that he's kind of talked about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Holy Spirit, now he starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit in verse 4. If you take a look with me. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all. And what's interesting, if you look at those verses, the Trinity, again, the words Trinity are in there, but that's there if you look at it. Uh, we have the Father, uh, we have the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit, the same Lord, which is Jesus referring to Jesus, and the same God, which is referring to the Father. Now, one thing, I, I personally think Paul doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is only involved in the gifts, and that's why he mentioned the Spirit, or that Jesus is only involved in the ministries, or that the Father is only involved in the activities. I think what Paul is doing, he's, he's illustrating the diversities and differences, but the same triune God is involved in all of it. And I'll touch on more of that later. And so he says there the first thing, there are diversities of gifts, but the same spirit. That word gifts is the word charisma. It's translated gifts here. It means endowments or gifts as you would think of it. And so the word gifts fits. 
There's a variety of gifts. And if you think about it, I love the, how they're called gifts. What is, what is, what is charisma? Uh, charisma is, is, is the word grace, and a gift of grace is something that's undeserved. It's not like you attain a certain level and now you receive this gift. A gift is something that you just don't deserve. And so it's, I love how he's, it's a gift of grace, basically. The fact that it's unearned, undeserved, unearned, given by the Spirit, it removes any way for us to feel prideful about what our gifts are, what our callings are. We don't, we, well, there's no opportunity to feel more spiritual or more prideful because of our gifts. So what are these gifts that he mentions? There are diversity of gifts, but the same Spirit. It's my opinion that Paul is referring to Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 in this first thing. If you uh, have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 6. There are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. Look at verse 6 of Romans chapter 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them if prophecy let us prophesy, excuse me, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. I think these are the gifts that Paul's referring to. Uh, they're the diversity of gifts. These have been called the primary motivational gifts. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, and basically, I believe that these gifts are given, every believer has a minimum of one of these gifts, and probably in most cases, multitude, uh, multiple, um, more than one gift, I guess is what I should say. So what are these primary motivational gifts? He spells it out here. Prophecy, ministry, which is the word, you could, you could think of it as helps a helping thing, a serving type of thing. Uh, teaching, exhortation, giving, leading, and, and another way to look at that is administration, or mercy, and then finally mercy. And like I said, each and every believer has one or more of these primary motivational gifts. Now, I wanna just create, or create, I wanna, I wanna address a misconception, I guess I should say. It's not that a person should only show mercy if they have the gift of mercy. Okay, I don't have to. I don't have that gift. <laughs> the gift, you know, I don't have the gift of mercy. No, we're we're to be merciful people, just like our Savior is merciful. Or a person should only give if they have the gift of giving. It's like, no, sorry, I can't give. I don't have the gift of giving. No, we're to give. Jesus Christ gave of Himself. He gave the ultimate Himself for us. Or a, piece, a person shouldn't teach Sunday school or disciple another believer because they don't have the gift of teaching. And I've, I've had people, I've asked, hey, there's nobody here in Sunday school, man. We are, oh, man, do you mind going back? And they go, sorry, I don't have the gift of teaching. It's like, okay, I guess I'll find somebody else, you know. <laughs> don't, it's not that we, you know, if you're in a situation, you have a sphere of influence and you have an opportunity to disciple another believer, you don't go, well, sorry, I can't do it. I don't have the gift of teaching. So we're all to be doing these things. However, the Lord has given individuals, certain individuals, uh, a, a supernaturally natural ability to, to operate in this, in this area, whatever it is. And it's how you and I are naturally and supernaturally wired by the Holy Spirit. It's how we approach things in ministry. 
And I've used examples before. I'm going to use another one. It's probably kind of a cheesy example, but hey, it might get the point across. You know, we're going to have communion. I don't know if you notice there's a communion thing here. We're going to have communion. For, we do it the uh, first Sunday of every month after the service. And the way we do it, the worship team's up here. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll uh, you know, as you're getting the communions and you the cup and the and the crack and you bring it down to your plate then then i've got a i've got a secret hidden plate back here with some more cups and stuff for the for the worship team and uh let's say into the service this morning and i grab the tray and uh, it's over here and uh, the first person i go to is larissa on my right over here she's, she's got the blonde guitar there and uh i trip over her microphone stand and i do a face plant right into her guitar at Brand new guitars. Is it new? I don't know if it's new. It's she's got this look, terrified look on her face. I'm not prophesying, okay? <laughs> and, and it's it's just smashed in pieces. Beautiful guitar. Now I guarantee what your gifts are is how you're going to respond to that situation. I really do believe that. Um, if you've got the gift of ministry, the gift of helps, I bet you you'd be one of those people that would right away run up. You'd help. Uh, pick up the broken guitar pieces. You'd set the stand back up. The juice that got flown and splattered on the wall. You go run and get some paper towels. You'd be doing. That's what you do because man, that's 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 what needs to be done. So you'd be doing that probably if you had the gift of ministry. Now maybe you've got the gift of teaching, and you'd probably come up to me and go, Pastor Don. I got to read this because I, I can't see. Pastor Don, given the square footage of the stage and your proximity to these obstacles, you should reduce your rate of acceleration by a factor of 8.3. Maybe. Or maybe you're more blunt than that. You should say, Pastor Don, just look out where you're walking, man. <laughs> maybe you have the gift of teaching. I know some of you have the gift of mercy. And I know you wouldn't care about the fallen stuff. You wouldn't care about teaching. You go, oh, poor Pastor Don, let me get that boo-boo. You've got a scrape on your elbow. Go run and get a Band-Aid and put a Band-Aid on your boo-boo, you know. And you'd be, you're just mercy. That's, that's all you're about. That's what the Holy Spirit's wired you that way. Or maybe you've got the gift of exhortation, and you'd come up to me after the service and say, Pastor Don, hey, let's get together once a week. And let's practice walking on the stage, man. I want, I want to, I'm, I'm here for you, man. I want to walk with you. I, I just want to help you get, get to where you're better at this. I, I'm there for you, man. Gift of exhortation. Or maybe you've got the gift of giving, and Larissa hopes that you do, because you'd run up and go, Larissa, how much is that guitar? Here. You got it, man. <laughs> or gift of prophecy. You would take this moment. And you'd stand up and go, I really feel the Lord is saying, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. You know, that might be what you might do. Or, finally, if you get the gift of leading or administrations, you'd stand up here in the front, you'd go, I need five volunteers after the service to help me unclutter this stage. We need to make some space around here, folks. And you'd be directing people to do that. Those are the gifts of the Spirit. And I guarantee how you respond is probably an inkling of what kind of gifts you have. But remember here, there are diversities of gifts, but they're given by the same Spirit. And I think one of the problems that we sometimes have is we view everybody through the lens of our gifts. You know, maybe you've got the gift of exhortation and you're just, you're just really, you're really disappointed. You're really let down because you can't believe 
that all these carnal Christians, none of them are willing to get together with Pastor Don during the week and help him walk the stage. I mean, you're, you're like, man, I can't understand why anybody else would do that. Everybody's got time on their hands. They should be able to do that. Or you maybe you're the person with helps, and you're up there wiping everything, and you go, oh, man, what, what is that person standing up quoting scriptures this time? I know they see there's a mess to be cleaned up. Why am I doing it all by myself? You know, I, I, this is funny, but it's serious, though. Sometimes we, we tend to look at everybody else through our scripture, through our lens of how we're wired. And it's like, I can't believe anybody doesn't do what I do. But remember, there's a variety of gifts, and yet it's the same spirit. Paul's emphasis there in Romans 12, we each have different gifts. But then he says this, use the gifts you have in faith with cheerfulness, liberally and diligently. In other words, don't be a spiritual pew potato. You've got gifts. Use your gifts. Use your gifts. So there are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. And I believe Paul is referring to Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Then he says, there are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There's a variety of ministries. And you're, if you have a King James Bible, it's administrations. The word is diakonia, uh, or where we get the word deacon, and it basically means serving. So there's, difference, there's differences of ministry. There's gifted offices. Well, what are they? I believe Paul here is referring to Ephesians 4, verses 11 and 12. And you can go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. I believe these are the differences of ministries, but the same Lord that Paul is referring to. Apostles, what's an apostle? It's a special ambassador of God's work. They're sent out to establish ministries. I'm going to rhetorically ask, you know, I don't need any raise of hands, but how many apostles are there in the Bible? You probably say, well, there's 12. There's 12 apostles. There's actually more than 12. In Hebrews 3 through 3 verse 1, we find out that the Father sent the apostle, Jesus Christ. He's called an apostle. Let me quote you, Romans 3 verse 1, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He's an apostle sent out by the Father. We know Jesus Christ appointed 12 apostles. Their names are listed in Matthew chapter 10, verses 2 through 4. So there's those 12 apostles. We also know that the Holy Spirit appoints apostles. Paul wrote at the end of his letter to the Romans, chapter 16, verse 7, he says, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my countrymen and my fellow prisoners, who were of note among the apostles, who were also in Christ before me. And in Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul's speaking about Epaphroditus. He says, I yet I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother, my fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and that word messenger in the Greek is apostle, and the one who ministered to my need. And then Barnabas and Paul, they were, they were apostles too, undeniably. So we see more than just the 12 apostles, I guess is my point here. But... Having said that, the 12 apostles that Jesus Christ appointed, they had a very unique role in the forming of the church and of the foundation of, of, of what we have in our hands here, the Bible, the, the New Testament. 
They were witnesses. In order to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, they were to be a witness of the Lord's ministry from his baptism all the way through to his resurrection. They were to have been physically seen him and been a witness to his life. There was also... Uh, the gift of miracles that were that had to they had there there had, was the evidence of miraculous power um, among those apostles. So, in the truest biblical sense, there are no more apostles. Um, in fact, we certainly I know Calvary Chapel doesn't maybe other churches do, but we don't give anyone that title. In fact, <laughs> I go so far as to say, if anyone comes up to you and says, "Hey, I'm an apostle," I mean, I just like wave off, <laughs> you know, stay away from that guy, you know. Danger, danger, Will Robinson. Um, you know, if somebody calls himself apostle, it's it's kind of funny. I don't, but if you think about the ministry of apostleship, being sent out and establishing ministries, governing ministries with some level of authority, that still happens today. I look at Pastor Chuck Smith, and and he's gone to be with the Lord, and I, I am sure he would not consider himself one. But if you look at his ministry, you know, he established the Calvary Chapel. Well, the Holy Spirit established it, but, you know, he, as a man that God had called, he, he basically established the Calvary Chapel movement, and uh, he had some level of authority. You know, there were things that they, they like, you know, the direction of the ministry, they, they go to Pastor Chuck, say, what do you think about this, Pastor Chuck? Well, this is what I think. You know, that's why you would talk. I'm not quite like that, but... Um, but I say, having said that, though, no one has the same foundational authority that the original 12 apostles had, okay? So if somebody comes and says, I'm an apostle, <laughs> uh, I don't think so. But the ministry of apostleship, I think is so. You know, Calvary Chapel, in a sense, is an apostolic ministry in the sense that most Calvary chapels are sent out from others, and they're established from another Calvary chapel. Most, most Calvary chapels are that way. So in that sense, you know, that, that ministry of apostleship is still taking place. How about prophets? Prophets are those who are called by God to speak forth God's word to mankind, sometimes in a predictive sense, uh, but not always. When you think of a predictive sense, you think of foretelling, right? They're foretelling what's going to happen in the future, but prophecy also involves foretelling, um, speaking forth God's words to people. One thing about a prophet is their message is always subject to discernment and to judgment by church leadership. It's there. We'll get to that when we get to chapter 14, verse 29. It's always subject to discernment because there are false prophets in the world today as there were in those days. If they're foretelling, whatever they're foretelling, it must come to pass. And if it doesn't, they're a false prophet. I've heard people argue that point, and I, I'm stick, I stick straight with it. No, if you're, if, you're, if you're going so far as to say the Lord's saying this, it better happen, because if it doesn't, you're a false prophet. My very firm opinion about that. If they're forth-telling, they're speaking forth God's words, man, it better be consistent with Scripture. It better not be some new revelation, this new doctrine or something, because then they're a false prophet as well. So there's guidelines, and we're going to get into all these guidelines later on as we go through the next couple of chapters. There's many examples of prophets in the Old Testament. There's even some in the New Testament. In Acts 21, we read of four daughters of Philip with the gift of prophecy, as well as a guy by the name of Agabus. So it's not, it's not just the men or the prophets and the women, you know, they just they don't do anything. No, there's, there's women prophets, female prophets in the New Testament. Um, I'm not sure... 
that she would consider herself a prophet, and I would certainly not call her a prophet, but I think Jan Markell's ministry, Understanding the Times, I think it's a prophetic ministry. I think she's, God's using her to speak to, to men, especially to the, not men in general, but, you know, mankind, to the church, man, wake up. Jesus is returning. And God raises up people like that in different generations to, to speak for, uh, for him to words. Now, uh, I don't think, again, I don't think she would consider herself a prophet, but her ministry, I think, is prophetic. She's not pastoring a church. She's not, you know, she's not uh, uh, leading men in, in a, some church or anything like it, but she's definitely a voice for God. And we all need to listen to that. We all need to listen to that, what she's speaking Evangelists is the next thing. And I don't know if I need to explain it to you, but those who share the good news and bring people into the kingdom of God. Man, that's a ministry. What a, what a blessed ministry. Philip the, is called the evangelist in Acts 21. He's the one that had the four daughters who had the gift of prophecy. In our generation, I bet you there's one name that stands out, Billy Graham. Man, what a, a tremendously used by the Lord God. Uh, I would... I'd, would be tempted to have you guys how many of you guys got saved through his ministry there, okay there's at least one here probably more i'm sure but uh yeah billy graham what an amazing evangelist so we're pretty well versed with that and then he says pastors and teachers now i'm not a greek scholar by the way but from my understanding greek grammar ties these two titles together pastors and teachers in other words it's one office with two descriptive titles because some people say it's pastors and then teachers. There's like, and they talk about the fivefold ministry. It looks like to me it's fourfold. And the reason why is because the Greek doesn't allow for it to be two separate things. My understanding, again, I'm not a Greek scholar. But if I look at it, I think it's important that teacher not be separated from pastor. Because you imagine if somebody, I've got the gift of teaching, and, and you don't love the people, you, you're not shepherding the people, you don't care about the people, but you're going to teach them. That, to me, is just like the rabbis in Jesus' day. They could just pronounce, they could teach all kinds of stuff, but they didn't live it, and they didn't care about the people that they were, that they were teaching. And so I think pastor-teacher is so important. If you're going to teach someone, I, I pray that you lovingly, you care about them. And, and, and a, a pastor-teacher is someone who lovingly shepherds and instructs others. Now, you may have a different belief about that. If it's pastors separate from teachers, that, that's fine. This isn't like, if you don't believe this, you're out of here. <laughs> but... You know, in a way, the gifts of the Spirit in Romans 12 that we talked about earlier, when they're used in faith and they're used diligently, often they lead to these gifted ministries that we see here in Ephesians 4. God gives us opportunities to use our gifts within ministries. And uh, God may use your com combination of gifts that are unique to you and appoint you to some ministry or some service. You might not be like, uh, you know, like, uh, I'm not an evangelist, but God might appoint you into an evangelistic ministry. Or maybe you're pastoring and teaching others. And I look at that as just discipling, just lovingly discipling people. And so God may call you man or woman into that kind of ministry. Uh, being sent out to establish some ministry. That's a, and again, that's, we're not going to call you an apostle, but that's, that's that ministry, the ministry of apostleship. Uh, being a prophetic voice in your community. We need prophetic voices in this day and age, and thank God there are some that have that gift that God's called them to that, that type of ministry. 
But again, like the gifts of Romans 12, I may have the ministry of evangelism, but that doesn't mean that none of us, like I don't have that ministry, so I don't evangelize. No, no, we're all called to be evangelists. We're all called to be witnesses to Jesus Christ, witnesses of what God's done in our lives. So we're all called to that ministry, but some people are gifted and they've been given that gifted ministry because of the gifts and they're using those gifts and God just guides them into something because he wants to use all of us for his purposes. I may not have the, mass, uh, the ministry of pastor teacher, but I'm still called, all of us are still called to come alongside younger believers in the Lord and, and disciple them. We're, we're called to do that. But again, we have to be careful not to view everyone else through our gifts. If you're an evangelist and you've got the ministry of evangelism, don't be all torqued about everybody. It's like, man, I don't, I don't understand why nobody else is going out with me door-to-door -door witnessing. I don't, I don't get it. Those guys are carnal. You know, we start viewing things in the lens of how the Lord's laid something on our hearts. Don't get frustrated. Um, you know, I can't understand why more people don't write letters to the editor. We all should be writing letters to the editor and speaking up about this wickedness that's going on. Hey, God's called you to that ministry. God bless you. I'm glad you're in that ministry. But don't expect everybody else to have that same calling because we don't. We all are called a different, God, God has so many different ministries and he's using it for one purpose and we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Finally, there are, you're probably like, yeah, finally, <laughs> get this thing over. <laughs> finally, there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. The word activities in the King James Version is operations, but the Greek word is energema. We might get the word energized or energy from that. Uh, it's basically the results of the energy of God in the believer, the results that are energized by God's grace. They're supernatural, they're active, and they're miraculous, and there's power in them. And Paul is going to address these activities in the rest of this chapter. Look at verse 7. But the manifestation of the Spirit... Again, the, 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 the energy, the, the, the activity, the operation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Now we could spend a lot of time, if you got a couple hours, we could go dig through this, but I don't think so. <laughs> We're gonna be looking at these manifestations of the Spirit in greater depth next week. So it's a cliffhanger, come, come back next week to listen. Um, but I love it, and you know, you might say, well, you know, I, these are the gifts, the gifts of tongues, you know, technically it's a gift and stuff. Listen, it's all gifts, okay? The ministries are gifts. The, the motivational gifts are gifts. I mean, they're literally called gifts in the Bible. And, and these operations are manifested. It's all gifts. In other words, it's all by God's grace. We don't earn it. You're not more spiritual than someone else if you're gifted in some way or a different way. It's all, it's all, we just, it's all from God. None of us earn it or deserve it. They're all distributed by the Lord according to his discretion. And I like going back to Romans 12. You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to just read what Paul says a few verses uh, in Romans 12, verses 3 through 5. 
Speaking of those gifts, he says, For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Again, uh, we're not to be prideful. And the reason the Lord has given gifts is we're, we're, it's to minister to one another. Uh, let me read from Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. And he himself gave some to be apostles, we've read that, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. Again, think of it. The Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. So the gifts of the Spirit are not to like make me stand out like, whoa, that guy is really spiritual. Look what he's doing. Or well, look what she's doing. Man, she must be really... No, it's to edify, to build up the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Man, it's all about building up one another. It's not about making a person stand out. I, you know, I, I, I might step on a toe here or two, but that's okay. You know, when I see Benny Hinn, running across the stage with his coat. Because that's the one. There's a Benny Hill. No, it's Benny Hinn. And he's waving his, he's waving his coat, and you, the people are falling over, and then he's running over, and he's doing that. And you look at that, and you go, wow. It's like, it's, it's, it's a show. And it's, it's like, how is that building up the body of Christ? I, I, I have a hard time with that. I think it's all about, look at me. Look what I can do. You know, and he just struts across the stage like a peacock. I just, I, I struggle with that. I really do struggle with that. We're not to think more highly than we ought to think. And everything we do is to build up the body of Christ. And then finally there in verse 7, he says, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. I would encourage you, as we go through this study and the gifts of the Spirit, I, I, I pray that the Lord just speaks to your heart. Uh, study ahead. If you have some questions, I'll sit down and talk with you. If you're like, I don't know if I agree with what you just shared. I won't do it right now, but uh, later on, man, I'll, I'll have a cup of coffee with you. We'll talk about it. You can buy lunch or something like that. It's okay. No. But seriously, um, I encourage you to study. Have your heart open. You know, we all come from different backgrounds. Some of us come from uh, Pentecostal backgrounds. Some of us come from what I would call cessationist backgrounds, you know, where the gifts of the Spirit were for the church, were for the apostles and not for the church today. Let me encourage you not to go in through this study with your mind already made up. I know what it is and stuff. Let the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit be our teachers through this next few weeks as we go through this. And uh, I just want to encourage you to... Um, if you're, like I've been reading through this and you go, you know, I think the Lord's, I think that's one of my gifts. Man, I want to encourage you to use those gifts. Because you're really, you're kind of robbing us in a sense if you're not using your gifts. 
because it's for the profit of the whole body of Christ. And so I encourage you, use those gifts, exercise them, be involved. And as you are faithful and diligent and cheerfully doing those things, the Lord may lead you into a ministry, a gifted ministry. Um, and and boy, we all want to be used by the Lord. I pray we do. Um, I'm thankful for those of you that are involved in different ministries. Even if you're not here, in, the, I'm just thankful for the ministries that are represented here at Calvary Chapel. I think it's awesome. I want to encourage you in that. Um, so that's it for our study this morning on uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to get back to verse 8 and work our way through again next Sunday. I, I pray that you're encouraged this morning and, uh, um, and edified. That's, that was the goal this morning. I was really praying that the Lord would just... Uh, just speak to us this morning. We're going to have communion this morning. I pray that I don't trip over uh, anything and, and break Larissa's guitar. But if I do, we'll see who runs up and does what, right? Then we'll know what gifts you have. So, um. 